Thanks for taking part of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. You learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Hey, by the way, you have a question for me? Go to clark.com slash ask. If you want to ask a member of my team, that's all you got to do. If you want to try to ask me the question directly, you'll see a box you check for that. So I used to smoke when I was a young man. And at one time, I smoked two packs a day. And it was really, really hard to quit smoking. It took a few tries. And I quit a really weird way. I, when I had a, a strong desire to smoke, I would grab a cigar instead. Yep, a stinking cigar. And the first day I quit, I smoked five cigars. Within a week, I would maybe have one cigar a day. And then by two weeks, I almost never had a cigar. And I kind of weaned myself off of cigarettes. It worked for me. Everybody's got to find what works for them. But listen to this. The average person who tries to quit smoking just by quitting smoking, just by going cold turkey, has apparently a 1 in 1,000 chance of succeeding. 1 in 1,000. I mean, that is, those aren't very good odds, are they? I read a story in Barron's Magazine about what actually does help somebody quit smoking. And it's not at all what you think. Today, there are lots of people who are doing a modern method of, I guess, kind of what I did with cigars, think that if they start using an e-cigarette, that will wean them from smoking. But apparently... That doesn't do it because they're still totally addicted to nicotine. Maybe the nastiness of the cigars, and I wasn't inhaling the cigars, helped me get past it, but, you know, that's just what worked for me. But the e-cigarettes just continue the addiction and doesn't solve it. So the funniest thing about what does work, according to Barron's, is when you are offered a cash incentive if you quit. Not uh, different incentives to try to quit that are tiny, but an actual real cash prize if you're able to quit. So what kind of cash incentives are we talking about and who would pay it? So Barron's is talking about in the range of $800 that an employer might offer. Because listen to this for employers that that have employees who smoke. The average additional cost for an employer per year for a regular smoker versus a non-smoker is $5,000. $5,000. The medical care on average for a smoker Averaged out over years of employment, 5000 more per year. Shocker. That doesn't even count the time that since everybody who smokes is a pariah and has to go outside at work, and the time they're away at the smoker's area, somewhere out in the elements, is time they're not working, so there's a productivity loss. Offering people money 
if they successfully quit, is a really, really great incentive for the employee. It works better, and it'll save you a fortune as an employer. Now, I know you're thinking, well, they're getting rewarded for having that habit. I don't smoke. Why am I not getting $800? Well, just be happy with the fact that you likely have better health and you're likely going to live longer. Just let that be your reward instead of the cash that somebody else is getting if they can quit smoking. So it's funny. I, uh, when I was in my own business my, in my prior life, when I used to have my own company, I offered that as incentive to my smokers that uh, what I did was, this won't surprise you, I offered them a shopping spree at a warehouse club that at the time was a warehouse club called Pace Membership Warehouse that if they quit smoking, they got $250 of shopping at Pace if they quit smoking and stayed away from cigarettes for six months. I then took them on the $250 shopping spree, which I guess today would probably be with inflation, maybe be closer to this $800. And I only had one employee who successfully quit and got the shopping spree money from me. But I was happy to do it, happy to give them the incentive to give up the habit. Jose is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jose. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. How can I be of service to you? Okay, so I recently sold a home, and I also recently turned around and purchased a home with my fiance. I want to buy a house as an investment, and as it turns out, my two older kids are looking to pool their resources and rent something together. And I'm starting to think that maybe it'll be a good idea if I want to go ahead and get into this business to have the greatest tenants ever. And I'm wondering if you might be able to help me uh, with the approach, because I realize you're, you're not a big fan of the co-signer thing. Um, we have, uh, you know, it's, it's harder for an investment loan type of thing. And I'm just trying to figure out the best way to go, given their limits income wise, because it might be difficult for them under first time home buyer or anything like that to get the kind of loan that they want. So, the so the ultimate goal would be for your sons to own this property? It's my son and daughter, but yes. Son and daughter. Okay. That they yeah. would own this property together. If they chose to continue in it at one point, yes. But it's as of right now, all they're interested in doing is renting. But long term, I should like to think that one or the other of them will decide, sure, I'll go ahead and take over this house. Very interesting. So you ultimately would be selling to them. Now, you, you would need to take out a traditional mortgage for you to buy this property. Right. And you would own it 100% in the initial right. going. Correct. Okay, so um, this is this is really an interesting scenario because I first need to ask you, your two kids, do you think they're likely to stay in the area and be long-term occupants of this property if you were to buy it? Uh, I think one of them probably will. It's, it's my son and his girlfriend in addition to my daughter. So they're going to go three ways on the rent. And if I were not to offer this option, they were going to go ahead and pursue that themselves anyway elsewhere. So, okay. yes, I, I do believe that my son and his girlfriend will probably end up sticking around for a while. Okay. They're both school teachers. All right. The reason I ask that is I don't want you to go into what is a heavy financial commitment for you to mm-hmm. get 
a mortgage, own this investment property, and right. then ultimately your kids are like, yeah, that was nice, Dad, but it's not really where we want to be. And then you're at that point an involuntary landlord. Uh, well, yes and no. It was something I was looking to possibly pursue regardless of whether they would be the tenants anyway. I wanted to put the proceeds from that sale somewhere. Okay. So you have to pay, you have to charge a market, market-based rent within mm-hmm. reason of what's considered a market-based rent Correct. to them. You can't do, uh, you can't really say, hey, yeah, you can live here for $25 a month. You have to charge them real rent. Right. And I'm looking at, obviously, properties that fall well within what they showed me to be their uh, limit. Great. And so I'm trying to follow this. You are in a position to pay how much of the purchase price from resources you have versus what you'd have to borrow? Well, I'm hoping to minimize the down payment, if at all possible. But I could do the uh, I could do ten percent at least. I'm trying to stay away from the twenty percent. But at the actually, price, I, I should alert you that usually on an investment property, a lot of lenders will require thirty percent. Correct, and I have heard that. So I, I I have seen some other lenders that tell me there might be some leeway, but you're correct. Okay. So so you have to be prepared for that, and also that the interest rate will usually be half a point higher. That's correct. Approximately. Yeah. Are you a member of a credit union? I am. Have you been to your credit union to tell them what you want to do? I, I, I was there about four days ago. They were packed, so I didn't sit down and spend. Right. With their Make loan an appointment officer. with a loan yeah. officer at the credit yeah. union. Okay. Um, if your two kids are not members of that credit union yet, get them in there to join themselves. Okay. And make it clear that this is an arrangement you're doing where you're going to own the place and your kids are going to be your tenants. Correct. And okay. credit unions often hold loans in-house, what's known as in-portfolio, mm-hmm. and you're already a member of it. You may find that considering the circumstances that you'll meet their underwriting guidelines, even though it's technically an investment property and they may well be willing to make a loan to you on more favorable terms. Okay. The other thing, if the credit union doesn't offer that flexibility, you want to go to a mortgage broker who can shop it around within, you know, companies that are willing to do investor real estate and are willing to work within the limits of what you're trying to do. But be prepared that you're going to have to cough up more than 10% for that down Correct. payment. All right. Can I, can I ask you one little follow-up? Sure. If I were to, to look at the option of them being the purchasers, and they have some incentives, especially for teachers and first-time home buyers in this market, I know that I can gift each of them up to $15,000. If I were to do that, that would cover them for at least... Uh, 10, 15, maybe even up to the 20%. And then I would just tell them that upon sale or later on as an equity, they can reimburse me. Is that? Well, that has to be, that has to never be written anywhere. Okay. (laughs) That would have to be a family understanding that you were fronting them money that they would then pay you back later. Oh, really? Okay, because the gifting doesn't, I got you. Yeah, because you can't give it to them and then later say, well, it wasn't really a gift. You have to pay me that back. (laughs) Okay, okay, no worries. Well, they're kind of insisting that it not be a gift, (laughs) to be honest, but I knew that I could do that. So, okay. Yeah, so you can can do more than that even because you can, what you can do is you can be a lender in part to them 
when they purchase a property or when they purchase this property from you and uh, then you can later forgive part of it. There, are, There's a lot of flexibility with that once you have some equity in this property that you're buying for your kids. So they're lucky to have you. Jeff joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Clark. How you doing? Great. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, a friend of mine recommended a company to me called OTR Mobile. Um, we're going to be moving out into a rural area where we won't be able to get any kind of higher speed connected internet. Um, and what they're offering is basically a 4G LTE hotspot that runs through AT&T's network, but they promise unlimited data with no throttling at any point. Um, I've gone to the property where we're going to be living. Um, I use uh, AT&T through straight talk on my cell phone. So I was able to run a speed test and, you know, it's in between eight and 10 megabytes, you know, so I think the speed so that's that's fast enough for you to stream definitely in standard right. def. And uh, they're how much a month? Uh, $60 a month. 60 a month for, for you living outside a band where you can sign up for traditional cable or um, phone company wired internet is a deal. And it's where we're headed. And uh, within a couple of years, there are going to be many offers like this, but they'll be much faster than the speeds that you're being quoted on this deal. So I would feel comfortable with this, and if they can make it work where they can give you uh, unlimited without throttling you, that is fantastic. It, it seems like in this market there's a lot of these resellers other than this company that are popping up. I mean, is this a legitimate, um, you know, I guess a, a legitimate operation that'll work? or is it- Who knows? I mean, I you know, I'm not familiar with OTR Mobile, but the price point is good. The risk you face is you're probably going to have to buy a pretty expensive fixed wireless modem. Yeah, it's about $250. So that's your risk because, uh, you know, the 60 a month is so much better than what's available in rural areas generally because they're the tight data caps. The satellite services are very poor. And so I would, I'd give it a shot because it's not like you got a lot of other simple choices you can use. Well, that's right. And can I ask a follow-up question kind of coming off of that? Okay. Um, So if that does work and can provide us with the proper internet speed, we wanted to set up, um, you know, kind of like a smart home with some security cameras and other things. And I've been going back and forth on which ones I think would be the best to put in the home. I didn't know if you could help me with that. Yeah, I love the Wise Cams. W-Y-S-E. Okay. Because the Wise Cams are great cameras and they retail starting at 20 bucks, And it's amazingly cheap. And you'll be impressed with what they offer for such a low price. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com slash ask. And then Joel asks your question for you. Clark, Matt had a question. He says, I try to fly Southwest because the airport that I use is a major hub for them. And I've seen Southwest gift cards in grocery stores. I wanted to know if there are benefits of using these cards to purchase airline tickets. Thanks for all the advice over the years. Thank you. The only time you want to buy a Southwest gift card is when the dollars are on sale. And by that, I mean Southwest from time to time 
will run promotions uh, often with an online seller or retailer where you buy a face amount, let's say, of $200 of Southwest, but you may only pay $180 for it or $185 or whatever, or you buy $100 on a card and only pay $90 for it. So when you can buy it below the face of the card, then that's worth doing. But otherwise, there is no advantage at all to buying a Southwest gift card as a way to pay for travel. And if you fly Southwest a lot, your best benefit would be to get one of the Southwest credit cards where you get big sign-up bonuses and use that to buy your tickets. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and that wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. So think about that mission. Save more, spend less, avoid getting ripped off. That's my territory that I serve you in. But what if you hear me talk about a topic, answer a question from someone, give advice or opinion, and you feel that I'm out of my mind or I just gave bad advice or info. Well, this show is not one where I have the last word. We all learn together. And if you feel that I've come up short, I need you to let me know that. So we have a special forum for you. You go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks, and you can post where I've disappointed you, upset you, angered you, whatever. And then others can see what you've written. They can comment on it, agree with you, disagree with you. And then weekly, producer Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares her favorites right here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. A few months ago, I was thinking about purchasing a new printer for my office. I had an old brother in my office for nine years that was finally dead. I really liked what Clark was saying about the Epson line and how it would save money on ink in the long run. I eagerly purchased the top-of-the-line Epson Echo printer for $399 with tax it was over $430 and set it up. It took three days to receive the printer and two hours to set up. My office was without a printer for four days. After two weeks with the printer, parts of the printer started falling out, parts I did not recognize or had no idea how to fix. I called the company, and they wanted me to return it for a new one. I, they said it was probably a faulty printer. I sent it back, and two weeks later received a new one. A week after that, same thing happened. I called again, went through the same process, received a third printer. Two weeks after that, you guessed it. Uh, so finally they call, he called the company and they, or Carly called the company and wanted to return the printer for a full refund and learned that they don't do refunds. They wanted to send me yet another printer. I declined forcibly to no avail. I called the corporate office and found no relief. I was told they would just keep sending me new printers until my warranty ended. Not acceptable. If it weren't for Amazon, I would never have gotten a refund. Tell Clark the Epson Echo line is a cheap product and buyers beware, Carly. Thank you for that post. Now, uh, I have used the Epson Eco or Echo Tank, whichever way you say it, for years now, and I have not had problems. Now, we have one 
here that we use um, in our digital room, digital facility, and a lot of the people in the digital facility hate it. I have one in my office, and we had one in the digital room. So the, it is a And then printer, I bought us a new one. <laughs> it is a printer that, that I love, but obviously I need to really temper that advice and guidance because um, my opinion is not shared equally, and I'm sorry about all the hassle that I caused for you that your printers were not reliable. I've, I've not had that issue. Now, we didn't have a problem with the printer breaking apart. It was networking issues, right? Yeah, and some other stuff. What other stuff? It's just, I don't have time. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's the next one. Someone teach Clark how to say mirror and not mirror. There is no A, Leah. Mirror? Did I say it wrong again? <laughs> that sounded fine. Okay. Mirror. Mirror. Okay. Mirror. Mirror. Okay. You got it. Well, I did for this second. <laughs> Clark, you recently addressed the issue of, of couples keeping financial secrets from each other. While I agree wholeheartedly that spending and debt should not be kept a secret, there's an issue known as financial abuse that needs to be addressed. It is pre- prevalent in domestic violence cases, and um, she links to an article about this. Because of this, I feel that especially women should have an account of their own that their partner has no knowledge of should things go south as they sometimes do, Julie. Julie, I feel terrible for anyone in an abusive relationship. And that is a circumstance that would be an absolute exception to the advice that I have given and my feelings about financial secrets with a couple. Uh, Because you're talking about an issue that is so much larger, someone being in fear for their life, for their safety, or who's suffering enormous emotional abuse in an abusive relationship. So that would be something that completely negates what I normally say about being honest with each other about money. It is possible, particularly when a couple meets uh, later in life, and I'd say anytime 35 years old or later, where they've each had their own financial life and separate life, that I think it's enough to say, hey, you know, I think I should have some of my own uh, credit and I should have some of my own money, and you too, but then at least you have that on the table. It's when there are these secrets that accounts even exist, either money or credit. But again, in a situation, an abusive relationship, all those kind of things go out the window. Clark, enjoy listening to your show for many years and plan to continue. You're killing me with your anti-union talk. Do you know who created Middle Class America? I bet you have and do take money from union members when you've sold a book, etc. You promote corporate America, not the worker. You have union listeners. You do, do understand that, I hope. Now I'm talking about companies, corporations, over 40 employees. Last, why is it right for a thief corporate officer who has a contract spelling out wages, golden parachutes, etc., but wrong for an individual to have their pay, working conditions, health benefits spelled out in a contract? I understand most of your team, Clark, is volunteer, right? Free work, no pay, no additional Social Security paid, but you take them on a trip that you write off. You've been using the airwaves owned by the American citizens, not just for conservative altar-worshipping Reagan followers. You don't talk about race, uh, religious issues, and so how? why is it you continue bashing unions? Maybe an informal 
informational picket line in front of your office would help, Bill? Bill, I don't know what I've said that would make it seem like I'm anti-union. I don't know what that relates to. The only thing I can think of, I've talked specifically about unions, involves the corruption involved with teachers' unions taking kickbacks for in areas where they run the retirement plans for teachers. And so uh, the union leadership ripping off union members who are teachers in their retirement plan. That is the only thing I can think of that I've talked about that would touch on unions. Unions, that's not normally a topic on our show. So if you could please write back in and be more specific what things I've said that seem to be anti-union. You you also express some political feelings in that post, and we try as hard as we can to be Switzerland, which is hard to do in this era, where we try very much to be a safe zone away from the political culture and political environment. So please let me know where I have said things that come across as very anti-union. We're not volunteers, just FYI. We all get a salary. <laughs> okay. No, with the we our volunteer the, off off air. Right. Center, we also yes. have our off air center yes. where the people who answer your calls are volunteers, and so we are a mix of paid personnel and volunteers. And we have volunteers who've been with us since the early 1990s. First, I want to wholeheartedly. I wholeheartedly do not think Clark stinks. I love what he does for everyone, especially with the passion that he delivers to every caller's situation. However, on one day he had two callers. The first was a lady who called in regards to her daughter with a young child who has in the past taken loans from not so reputable companies. She's helping her try and build her credit. There was something that I thought of that, 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 that Clark may be overlooking and didn't address. If she has a young child, she may be utilizing daycare and her income level may be low enough that she would qualify for daycare assistance through CYFD of her state. This would help on a month-to-month basis to decrease her expenses, which she could then allocate somewhere as is needed. She may also qualify for rental assistance if she isn't already. The second caller wanted to know the best time of year for deals on appliances. Clark recommends he would look through the sales through Lowe's and Home Depot. From my experience, the best time to buy appliances is late November and into December because new models for the next year are starting to be stocked and they have deeper discounts on last year's models. If you are able to time this with the holiday in November, you can get a pretty good deal. My husband and I purchased our new refrigerator in November a couple of years ago and ended up getting it for just under $1,700 when the original price was $3,200 due to it being a previous year's model. Like you, I'm an, I am a financial educator and counselor, and I am as frugal as frugal gets. I just wanted to make sure these two were aware of other things that were not addressed in their call. Thank you for all you do for everyone. God bless. Carrie Sue. Carrie Sue, thank you for your post. And the initials you used in the first part, that is a state-specific code for, I think, New Mexico, maybe. Uh, but... There are assistance programs for, for lower-income folks with children in each state, and they vary by state, but that was a great suggestion. Dear Clark, I love you and your show, even though you continue to sing Huawei's praises despite the government's warnings about them. 
Well, now Microsoft has uncovered a backdoor in their MateBook device. Please read the following link and please warn your listeners about how they are not to be trusted. Sincerely, James from Huntsville. James, thank you. And I've gotten a lot of intense feedback about Huawei. And Huawei is a company that is under suspicion here in the United States, in Britain, Australia, a number of countries for being an agent of the communist government in China and being used to uh, be a backdoor to spying on people in the Western world. Now, I'm not smart enough to be able to tell you if the suspicions about Huawei are accurate or not. The reality is that Huawei is not a player of any note in the United States anymore, and they are not of any market share of meaning in the U.S. So for us in the U.S., it's really become a non-issue because go try to find a Huawei to buy anyway. I appreciate all your posts. If there's something you feel that I'm doing that is failing to serve you, please go to clark.com slash clarkstinks and let me know. Dawn's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Dawn. So you're freaking yourself out, huh? Yes. What are you freaking out about? (laughs) Well, I'm close to 50, and I don't have a retirement fund anymore. Um, My career is as an esthetician, so my um, employer does not offer any um, compensation as far as 401k, medical, dental, and I'm a single mom on top of that. So I literally, um, there's not really a lot of money to be stashing or saving. And so you're feeling time pressure approaching 50 and you feel like you're going to work till you can't find the place to work anymore, pretty much. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I know that that is an intensely uncomfortable situation, and you also sound like you have a case of the guilt, it's like you're sounding guilty. Let go of that. I mean, you are where you are, and we'll talk about how you build one step at a time. How's that? Sounds great. <laughs> okay, so I would say that you'd be a great candidate to look at opening an account with Fidelity Investments. Okay. Fidelity will allow you to open an account with as little money as you have, no minimums, and build up money over time, and I'll tell you how I mean to do that, okay? Okay. If you, right now, you're pulled many different ways, you got, how old are your children? 10 and 13. So you got minor children, they've got several years in front of them, Uh, you've got current demands on your money coming from every which way you don't have health care being provided to you where are you going to squeeze any money from right exactly so i would like you to start with just a penny on each dollar you make okay and you're not going to miss that but it'll start a sense of momentum and that you're doing something and a penny on each dollar isn't going to mean that in 15 years you're just going to go live at a beach somewhere and everything's going to be great, right? But you got to start somewhere. And so I'd Correct. start with that uh, 1% of what you make. Okay. And with Fidelity, you can go open an account 
And I'd like you to open something called a Roth IRA and scrape okay. together enough money to open that account. And I'd like you to put it in um, this specific fund, the Fidelity Target Retirement Index Fund. And I may have put index in the wrong place. Target Index Retirement Fund. And you have to pick a year. In your case, I want you to pick the year 2040. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be realistic. You're going to have to work yes. uh, longer than you might have intended. Right. And so I want to just lay that out there. But I want you to have a target in mind. And oh, so, I appreciate so that. So you, you open the Fidelity account. You open the Roth IRA is the account you're opening with them. Open the Target Index account that I'm talking about for 2040. And then every pay period, put 1% of that check in there. And then this is the tough part, okay? Mm -hmm. But I want you to do it in little baby steps. Six months later, I want you to start doing two cents of each dollar you make. And okay. then if you can, if you're finding you're still able to um, provide for your kids and pay for life, each six months after that, I want you to step it up another penny of each dollar till you can't do it anymore. The reason for that is I want to create a habit. I want to create a momentum. And then in, um, you said 13 was your youngest. So in, in five or six years, hopefully you're going to be in a position that then you have a little more money freed up. And then you step it up more. But you will have spent the five or six years putting money aside. And every dollar you put aside is a dollar that you're now devoting to your retirement. Is this something that I can do online? or I Yeah, you can do it online or go to a Fidelity office. So you, okay. you can go to fidelity.com and open up a Roth IRA or go into one of their offices, kind of like walking into a bank office, and you just tell them you want to open a Roth IRA, don't have a lot of money to start, and this is the fund you want to go in. They'll say, okay, sign here, sign here, sign here. Boom. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.